man welcome to crow triple seven radio this is episode 182 jason lingren is back and we have asked mr phoenix aurelius to return uh and catch us up with where he's been lately and uh he's been taking on apprentices believe it or not we'll maybe talk a little bit about that but jason welcome from what i understand there's like just a handful of tickets left for shoot the moon nyc Correct. By the time this airs, we will be completely sold out because there's only a handful left as of this day. So I hope that we will get to see you there. All right. Um, and I guess I'll say this. Do, do we know that there's still five or six tickets left? The, the problem here is we can't go over capacity in this room. Uh, we don't want to run into a situation where the fire marshal basically boots us out or something. So we're trying to pay attention to the rules of the game here. But are we certain that there's still five or six tickets? Yes. But by the time this airs, there won't be any left. Oh, that's right. Um, we're actually a week ahead. Okay. Is there anything? Oh, you, you need to do your other thing. Right. And the other event, of course, is not sold out. And that is the 2019 Flat Earth International Conference, where I will be giving a talk on the social engineering of our worldview, space and space travel. I hope to see you there on November 15th in Dallas, Texas. All right. So let me tee this up. Um, I'm going to have Phoenix in here in a moment, but you Folks out there may remember we've had Dr. Frank Olina, who does naturally based medicines, uh, homeopathic or naturopathic, I'm not sure which one of those ones better describes it, uh, with a history of alchemy, um, Ayurvedic trainings and trainings all over the world. And um, I had come to a point where I was looking at viruses and I began to realize this is no different than the NASA imagery we're sent. And I began to realize that we're not getting a true description of viruses. As time went by, it came to pass that we had Dr. Frank Olina on. We actually had a conversation with him before the fact, and the Germans were getting ready to announce that they were on the verge of proving that viruses have been misdescribed and that they are actually electromagnetic in nature. And one of the descriptions Dr. Lena brought with him, which I appreciate wholly, is the idea that a virus might be better described as electromagnetic vampire. In other words, sucking on your energy. And so as we talked with Frank Olina, um, we began to realize that one of the descriptions that's emerging in this new definition of what has previously been called a virus and has been previously told to you that it's like this little body, this little set of cells you can image, um, this new definition starts to define a situation where a person who comes under the conditions where they're deficient is almost magnetically attracting this electromagnetic va vampire. And that's about the best I can do right now. But as we prepped up for Phoenix Aurelius today, turns out he's aware of what we're talking about and he's all about it and in the same vein. So I wanted to open up there. Welcome, Phoenix. Hey, Crow. Thank you so much for having me, both of you, Jason, too. How hey. are you guys doing? Hey, we're great, man. And it's good to have you back. And uh, right before we started, you actually had an apprentice come through and do a full apprenticeship 
uh, in your new lab space, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. We actually had uh, Jerry Dolgos, who is a TMJ specialist and a dentist from the Buffalo, New York area. Um, he came through and did a three-day apprenticeship, and we were able to finish probably like, uh, I think, 16 different individual products from start to finish, along with making six different items of actual finished spagyric pharmacopoeia. So, 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 wait, so wait a minute, that's a dentist, and what was the last name? Dolgos, D-O-L-G-O-S. Oh, I, I know, I know this man. Uh, he's he's a member at Crow Triple Seven Radio and has been for some time. That's this absolutely gi- right. Yeah, this gives me real heart, man. This this gentleman's a uh, a dentist, and look what we see here. And just maybe we should set the table here, Phoenix. People who haven't caught the past episodes, Phoenix Aurelius is involved in what we can call alchemy, more specifically the alchemy of the plant kingdom for the sake of this conversation called spagyrics or spagyria. Phoenix, can you just give a quick overview to people to catch them up about what it is we're about to talk about? Yeah, totally. So spagyria is like a method of pharmacopoeia from that started from this guy named Paracelsus in the 1530s. And Paracelsus was kind of like an anti-papist. He was also an anti-reformist. And his whole concept was that, hey, listen, if things can't actually be proven physically and metaphysically through universal principles that we can see that are perennial from the beginning of time, they don't really exist. So he created this really strong pharmacopoeia method that is also kind of like a universal way of being able to demonstrate what he would have referred to and what most hermeticists would refer to as like a universal truth or universal causation. And so we feel that everything in the natural universe has three different aspects to it, the soul, the spirit, and the body. So when we're making uh, items of pharmacopoeia, we are taking a look at the soul, the spirit, and the body very in particularly of all of the materials that we're looking at and also seeing how that's going to interact with the soul, the spirit, and the body of the individual to whom it's being applied while simultaneously taking into account which of the four Kabbalistic dimensions, which would be the physical, the astral, the mental, or sometimes called the causal, and then the spiritual that need to be affected in order to actually trigger the root of causation of disease of that person. And he says that there's five causes of disease, which we'll go into, and four pillars that medicine actually rests on. And if those aren't intact, no matter what the will of the individual is, um, they won't actually be effective. And so that's kind of the basis of spagyric medicine. I know that most people would refer to it as like a an herbal form of alchemy, but it's not. It's actually just using alchemy for all the types of medicine production that can be created because alchemy really is kind of like non-bastardized chemistry. It gives us the opportunity to really explore the spiritual and the psychological shifts that happen with the shifts in matter instead of just eliciting uh, shifts in matter and kind of treating it like a whore or you know making it like constantly put out. That's kind of the way chemistry is, whereas alchemy more is a holistic integrated approach to understanding the life cycle of something and helping naturally uh, promote it towards its own interests as opposed to, like I said, just whoring it out and doing molecular isolations, et cetera, et cetera. So let, let me jump in here. This is when, when I first began to read Paracelsus and I've gone back a number of times, the first time I bumped into it, uh, his writings, uh, I was younger. I had a hard time understanding any of it. And I think that's true of anyone until you get your mind in the right space, you keep coming back to it, you learn more. So people understand Paracelsus, the name actually implies 
that not only is this practice that Paracelsus is using uh, called alchemy or spagyria ancient, it's old, way older than him. His name is derived para uh, Celsus. It means equal to or greater than, than some other dude who lived way the hell back called Celsus. Uh, if I mess that up, Phoenix, you can correct me in a moment here. The thing about Paracelsus, you open with it. The, the man forced common sense into the into the ideas, into assessing the world to discover what is and what is not. He forced common sense, and this is where all my respect is paid. The foundation for that common sense was the natural world. And I think these are important things for people to realize. And when you mentioned the bastardization of chemistry, it's absolutely what it is. We are looking at here spagyrics and alchemy which precede what we'll call modern science, which includes chemistry. Modern science and chemistry have no respect for nature. Alchemy and spagyria only create within what nature will allow and step with nature. And I think these are important things for people who may not be familiar with what we're about to cover because it's a big deal. We've gotten so artificial and so laissez-faire about what we do to nature that taking a step back and going back to older proven ways that respect the natural world to me is a big deal. But where would you like to jump in here? Do you want to jump in with the five entia, the five ideas that Paracelsus put forward of what creates disease? You know, I, yeah, let's uh, let me just say a quick preamble to that, though, before we hop into that, which would just be that. Yeah, let's take a step back. I want you to put your, your storytelling imagination hat on. I want you to take a step back to 1500s in Switzerland. And I want you to imagine that this boy was born to a father as an illegitimate child. Okay, that's the first thing. And his father was a surgeon in this tiny little mountain town called Einsiedeln. And virtually nobody even passed through this town except to get from one place in the Alps to another place in Switzerland. And so it was just a passing through place and one of the only places in a mountain town. And so as a result, his father, Paracelsus' father, owns an inn. And this inn, he has a little medical practice for people who have hurt themselves along the way, for maybe women who are giving birth, for any sort of emergency kinds of things that are happening, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Paracelsus' mother dies at a very early age, and his father, because he runs an inn, decides to unicize Paracelsus, or at least that's the general consensus today, to make sure that he never has sexual relations with any of the female guests so as not to taint the father's reputation or experience. And so he becomes a eunuch at a very young age. And his life was very harsh and surrounded by death and disease and pestilence. And uh, he, he even recounts that most people that he saw in his father's uh, little shack had died. But even though he was a bastard, his father always had him in the surgical rooms, always had him working with things from, I mean, we're talking probably like age four or five, you know, hand me this tool, do this thing, help this person bite down on this. And so he was exposed to a profound amount of what we would refer to today as uh, psychological trauma regarding medical crises from an exceptionally early age. And um, at age 14, it said that he leaves and he decides that he wants to become a, a surgeon and a medic. Okay, now just put what you know together. You live in Switzerland, you fight for the Swiss army. Who are you fighting for, Crow? Well, masters of the universe at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, you're fighting for the Pope. I mean, even still, the Swiss Guard are still the Pope's personal guard and they wear the right. funny little outfits and things like that, okay? so. Unfortunately, he got uh, kind of dragged into papal wars, but his whole job inside of all of those wars was as a field medic. Now, modern shows don't actually portray the way that history tells it inside of the journals and the diaries, because when 
battles ended. First of all, battles are not at all historically the way that they show up on TV. I mean, there are rules of engagement. And so if you get hit or wounded, you're obligated to sit down just like a game of tag. You don't get to participate uh, in a lot of cases. So unless you have a really merciless army, you don't have major killer wounds that are going to destroy you. If you got tagged and you start bleeding, the rules are, of engagement are you you drop down. So as a result, a lot of the people who die on battlefields are not people who are actually dying of their wounds per se. In Paracelsus Day, there are people who are dying because they were plastering the small wounds that they did have. So a small sword gash was not going to kill somebody. And if you take a look at the armor of the time, it was usually only infantry pikemen, poor infantry pikemen, who were actually ever damaged. And even at that, they were laceration wounds most of the time. It was because they would use the plaster of Paris and put the plaster of Paris with a number of fermenting herbs over the top of the wound and seal it up. And that would end up killing uh, killing people. It's a bit interesting on its own because plaster of Paris corresponds one to one with the cell salts we know of today. If I'm not mistaken, it would be the third cell salt. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... Everything in its form and everything in its dosage, okay? And this is what ends up driving Paracelsus to his theories much later on. So Paracelsus keeps seeing things like this. And now on the battlefields, when the battle is done, all the healers come out and indiscriminately, the healers from both sides have taken a vow to heal everybody. They don't care if you're on their side or the other people's side. That's not what it's about. It's about treating the wounded because neither side is interested actually in having lost men. They have no place for that in their society. Numbers are already low. They need as many people as possible. It's not something that benefits either side to lose half of the population of grown men. So every side agrees that when the battle is over, healers are just going to heal. So Paracelsus travels from here almost to India and back throughout the entire you know, remnants of the Persian Empire and all the way back. And he listens to the folk healers. He listens to the women. He listens to the wives' tales. You know, he listens to everything and asks empirically, can it be demonstrated? Now, remember, this is hundreds of years before the scientific revolution. In fact, Paracelsus was key to several hundred years later, people like Van Helmont and other people, Boyle and others, suggesting that we should have a scientific process. But at this time, there was no scientific process, and he is still saying, can it empirically be demonstrated? Because if it cannot, then it must have no virtue. And if it can, then it must have virtue. Even if the explanation of these people makes no sense, it can surely be rationalized in some other way if the philosophy is correct. And so this is what he does. He just takes all of the correct philosophies that actually work, and then he theorizes about them. And he creates this really interesting philosophy and this very, very complex cosmology that is for his time very religiously driven but you like i said he was not a papist he absolutely deplored the catholic church and said that there needed to be tons of reforms and also the scriptures must have been tampered with because he had performed transmutation on the metals and there were discrepancies in the scriptures between the way that the transmutation of the metals had gone and the way that the scriptures actually read. So he was able to, in his opinion, rectify the scriptures and the ways that it had been twisted. And, you know, given the benefit of the doubt, nobody would have, during his day, ever said that the Pope was wrong. He just would have tried to advocate that there was a better way. But he was constantly put on, on trial as a heretic for all of his views. And in fact, his whole form of medicine that he was creating and all of these ideas were so drastically against his time and era 
that he was a single person walking against the world. All of the universities, all of the professors, they completely opposed every single one of his theories because he was the first person to suggest the disease could possibly come from an outside source. It could come from something other than just a distemperment inside of you of the four humors, which was uh, called Galenic medicine. And he even said, I could take Galen and I can take Avicenna and I can take Jabir and I can throw them down and I can reverberate them to a feces, which basically means he's going to burn them in a fire down to an ash. And then he's going to extract from them their purity, meaning he'll leave everything behind that is not pure and take only the pure healing aspects and show it back to the world. And then he, you know, disclaimed and discredited medical astrology of the time, which was very, very popular since the time of Ptolemy. And he said that the tropical, uh, astrological methods were entirely off. He said that theology was entirely off. He said that everything was entirely off and only he, because of his ability to ascertain from nature and to love what is true and what is right, which he deemed God's love. If he was so tapped into God's love, he was able to understand these concepts. And as a result of that, he and he alone would be the individual who would revolutionize medicine. And uh, before he died, he made a prophecy that said that it would be close to 600 years after his death where his medicine would reign supreme. And I just want to point out to those listeners, we're maybe only about 80 years away from that. Well, we see a lot of people getting back to nature, don't we? Uh, so so much about this artificial digital age, the loss of freedoms, the the artificial nature of so many things and the low quality of things is really driving people to take a look backwards. But I wanted to go, you know, I was not aware of part of that backstory of Paracelsus, and I have read quite a bit. So uh, it sounds to me like he picked up the Indian cosmology there. Is that correct? Well, uh, whether he picked up the cosmology or not, I mean... We definitely see that he criticizes Jabir. So Jabir created this sulfur-mercury theory, and Jabir was an Arabic alchemist. Oh, I don't remember the precise dates, but I want to say that's going to be between 600 to 800 AD. And uh, Jabir created the concept of sulfur-mercury theory, particularly pertaining to the metallic works of Arabic alchemy. So Arabic alchemy was a continuation of Greek alchemy, which largely dealt with the sublimation of various vapors and their interactions, uh, the interaction of those vapors on solid metal bodies for the tinging or the coloration of different metals. And this was initially done uh, as industrial efforts in ways to find metals that are tempered in new ways that can either be used for weaponry or for mobility purposes or for, uh, you know, industry somewhere along the way. So he creates this sulfur mercury theory. Well, later down the road, Paracelsus picks this up and he, you know, he's reading all the alchemical texts. He's aware of that whole concept because uh, sulfur mercury got dragged into the Western pharmacopoeia methods and everybody was aware of it because Jabir was one of the major contributing authors to Western medicine at that time. You know, it was like you go back to the initial Greek authors like Theophrastus and then you go to... Uh, Roman authors like Galen, who are still practicing Greek medicine. And then you go to the Arabic people who picked up Greek medicine after that, and in some ways uh, drastically advanced it. And then all of that makes its way into Western Europe via Spain around, you know, roughly nine to 1100 AD, but it's really, really apparent by 1300 AD. It's, it's, it's the, 
into cool. the universities, we should point out. So, so this yes. actually leads. So, so basically, the story that we're given. And by the way, you know, uh, people who follow, yes, are, we use yeah, we use these dates as as a a a point to talk from. To me, history is a light agreed upon, but we have to use points Agreed. that we can use to speak about it. But apparently, this is the same idea as when we did the uh, the myth series. So the oldest we can see back supposedly was whoever the hell the supposed ancient Greeks were, which doesn't even that's not even a real idea because Greece doesn't come to be till the 1800s. So they were Hellenic or something else. Point is, it leaves there, ends up in Rome, ends up in the Middle East, and the Arabs take it much, much further uh, with a very open society, but then it actually makes it into the universities of Spain. And that's a big deal because these things get, you know, all the things we're talking about here, a more natural way to deal with the world that's empirically provably true because the only truths that exist are na are natural, are in nature. Human beings cannot make up truth. So I, I want to make that perfectly clear because as Phoenix goes along, I would imagine the average mind's thinking, well, if all these things worked, why the hell didn't we carry it all the way forward? Part of the answer to that is science. The other part of the answer to that is why Phoenix asked me the special you know, question <laughs> about Switzerland because the masters of the universe wanted it to be something else, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That well, And that's exactly right is that for those people asking that question, if spagyric medicine was so awesome, and if Paracelsus, as the records state, actually cured syphilis, actually cured the plague, actually cured entire colonies of lepers, and cured mysterious other princes for whom he was taken to court, and we have numerous records of that because those, those princes wouldn't pay because the remedy was so simple, after they had already paid every other physician in the land huge sums and they had failed— Paracelsus asked the same sum that all of them would ask and got taken to court because he got cured in a single pill. And that prince says, I'm not going to pay you that rate for a single pill. And he says, why? You paid 16 times that rate to all the physicians in the land and they didn't give you a single bit of help and you were on your deathbed. I gave you a single pill and you got better and you refused to pay. What is your problem? So, yeah, with that one, I mean, that was Paracelsus's kind of thing. So he was constantly driven from place to place to place. And it's been no different historically than it is today. If you talk too loudly, you get bludgeoned to the head. And that's actually how he died. I mean, Paracelsus was very well armed. He carried a very large pommel broadsword on him at all times. It was always about his waist, whether he was in the pub or in his lab or whatever. And it was said that in his pommel, he was actually to contain numerous different medicines that would have been administered to the poor if he would have run into them on his travels. And he himself and all of his students acknowledged that he was constantly giving alms to the poor uh, by way of medicine completely for free and feeding them, whereas all these other physicians at this time would not even see their clients. Now imagine that. Today, doctors actually see their patients. That's a kind of a bizarre concept in the 1500s, though. That was below a physician. What you had was called a physician's runner. And the physician's runner would actually go and take urine samples from the, the patient and run them back either on foot or on horse, depending on the uh, well-to-do status of the doctor, to the doctor. And then the doctor would taste it, look at it, and sometimes smell it and determine what was wrong by way of the internal humor. Was this person too bilious or too phlegmatic or too et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And with this, they would prescribe herbs that would usually aggravate the condition, usually uh, make that person even more sick. So Paracelsus would come in and say, 
Well, listen, you can't actually cut somebody open and draw their blood or put leeches on them if the blood is impure in the first place. It makes absolutely no sense to purify a quantity of blood by lessening the quantity of blood. That's not a way of doing it. What you have to do is actually use purificatory herbs, either, you know, purgatives or whatever else in order to uh, get the process of detoxification going. And he had a very clear understanding of this that today is hauntingly similar to our modern system, uh, at least as it pertains to toxicology. He was performing some of the same things, like activated charcoal to neutralize poisons. That was one of the things that Paracelsus had figured out. He'd also figured out tons and tons and tons and tons of other things. But like I said, he got bludgeoned in the head and killed in the middle of the night like a thief because he was wildly popular and also wildly outspoken. You know, if you're a single person against the world and you publish something your very first time and you say, hey, listen, this is actually the way that it works. And then all these doctors who, without ever trying it, contest it and say, this guy's an idiot. He's a moron, blah, 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 and keep going on and on and on and on. How are you going to respond? You have to defend yourself. So he did defend himself. And he said, you know what? The merits of my achievement are actually provable and demonstrable. And so when when uh, the University of Basel in Switzerland said, you know what, we're going to give this guy a chance. He seems to know what he's talking about. And he's really, really skilled. He's seen more surgeries and death than anybody else ever because he's been part of the medic surgeon team. And he comes with very, very, very high recommendations. So they make him professor emeritus at Basel University. And on his first day, he takes all of the books of Galen from the library, the medical library, and all of the books of Avicenna and all of the books of Jabir, and he throws them into a fire and he burns them. And he says, this is about what you need to know about what they have to teach you. Everything that I have to teach you will be demonstrated in this class, and you will be able to see everything and practice everything for, for yourself. Well, that was such a radical statement in that time. I mean, we're talking, what, 40 years after the alleged uh, invention of the, of the printing press? you know, 60 years, maybe. So by this time, I mean, that's just absolutely radical books cost enormous amounts. And for him to burn the copies of the university, his students were outraged, especially, you know, the rich little, you know, daddy's kid who's getting in there because his dad was a physician, blah, 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 blah. So the, these are the conditions that Paracelsus was up against in his time. And it wasn't that his stuff wasn't effective because after his death for 150 years, you can actually read the works of Dubois. You can read the works of Dubois. You can read the works of Walter Pagel. You can read the works of, uh, I forget who published it, but um, there's two books, the English physicians and the French physicians, or the English Paracelsian is what it's called, and the French Paracelsians. And this is a historical documentation of all of those who adopted Paracelsian medicine and cosmology for 150 years after his death, leading up to the scientific revolution. And it was a very narrow scope and group of individuals that were able to submit and influence the beginning of a new scientific thought. And with scientific thought, Paracelsus somewhat ranting style. Uh, if you've ever checked out my Facebook, you'll realize Paracelsus and I may not be that different <laughs> in style. We go on in rants and our reason for things maybe aren't always completely linear, okay? That we take you around to lots of different reasons. Well, that, that type of thinking is very heavily scrutinized by the scientific process as being invalid or just non-conclusive. 
regardless of how much you can demonstrate things. And I encountered this in agriculture all the time because I can go to the Utah State Department of Agriculture or to any other department of agriculture and I can demonstrate permaculture principles or what I call alchemiculture principles where I integrate alchemy, uh, you know, spagyric and alchemical practices into uh, ecological practices and agricultural practices. And I can show them without a doubt 100 times out of 100 that every single one of my practices are going to regenerate the soil, recondition the soil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But unless I have the actual scientific data to show that and how the that mechanism was possible, then we can't get listened to, we can't get grants, and we certainly can't change policy. The masters of the universe have trained the system so well. It's like Rockefeller medicine, right? Everybody's been strained up so efficiently that they can't look across the street to see if there's anything better. But um, Jason, I know you were trying to get in a while ago. I wanted to ask if he was really up against the notions of evil spirits, witchcraft, and all that sort of hocus pocus. Was he the person that really helped to banish all that nonsense out of the medical fields? And that's why they were doing crazy things like bloodletting and all that, because they're trying to get the evil mumbo jumbo out of someone. And then he's coming along and saying, no, you don't need all that. This is ridiculous. And then pushed it forward to have the intellectual revolution that came. Well, yeah, and that's exactly right. You know, like he would say very would today what we would uh, perceive as very common day statements. But you see, everybody is always no matter how much you try you're always to some degree going to be disillusioned by the collective themes of your time. That's just like, that's a universal principle. We can always seek to be as least deceived by the conventions of our time as possible, but you know, still it's just what happens. But uh, people who are very, uh, who are like savants or very avant-garde, so to speak, like Paracelsus was, their job is to break that, that hymen, so to speak, that is separating the, old paradigm from the new paradigm and to be able to create this rupture that allows for new information to be seen, to be heard, to be experienced, and hopefully to evolve the state of human thought or evolution. So, yeah, I mean, what, what you're saying, Jason, is just absolutely true, is that um, Paracelsus definitely, he was constantly accused of witchcraft, and he even said things like, quotes like, listen, if God doesn't have the cure, I'm not going to bar the devil just because, you know, he's the devil. If I have something he wants and he has something I want, why would I not engage in that trade if it's going to save a life? Tell me that. And so the Catholic Church had a lot of problems. They said, what do you mean? Do you mean that you've been in contact with the devil? And he said, I didn't say that. He said, if God didn't have the cure, I wouldn't bar the devil. But I have yet to find a case where God doesn't have the cure because God is nature stab it's like yeah. you know mic drop <laughs> it, it should be pointed out um i don't think a lot of people are aware of how much of what we're talking about is coded deeply into scripture part of it is maybe teaching having a teacher that actually understands the scripture to, to let you understand we've covered these things before it's like in the book of john when you hear uh, verily verily i say unto you they're referencing the spring equinox. The word verily relates to the sun. I've broken this down many times. And uh, the sun is the vernal, very vernal sun equinox. That's how you get to all these things from the derivative of the words. But in almost any old alchemical text like Paracelsus, you're going to find these guys praying at the outset of anything they do in the lab. 
yeah. referencing scripture. And you opened up by pointing out that he did alchemical procedures. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, metals also can make medicine and alchemy and other things, not just plants. But he did alchemical procedures on metals and realized that the scriptures had been tampered with. And then he turns around and says, tropical astrology is off. By the way, we're going to have Athen Comenti back here in a week or two. Yeah. And the thing I appreciate about Athen is he's trying, man. He's challenging the sky. He's looking at what he actually sees, not doing some bizarre calculation to move us a sign out of what's actually above our head and all this other nonsense. But this is all going to have a relationship to what we're about to get into. And I just want to kind of put it forward that what the Bible has come to mean to a lot of us now is not necessarily always what it meant to everybody. And I think Paracelsus is case in point, but in Paracelsus's case, he used proof. This works. There's your proof. And the foundation for this works and here's your proof is nature, the natural world. And so from his point of view, the creator made this nature that proved this is effective. And that kind of is an inarguable presentation. And for my part, Phoenix, I think that's a big reason why um, the powers that be started to have problems with what he was doing. And I would further point out, it is actually encoded in a movie on HBO, a uh, many-part series about the Borgia Pope Papacy. Cesare, the son of Pope Alexander, uh, gets what they called the French disease, which is basically syphilis. And that is cured by an alchemist in the show. So they're making references to some of the things you, you've caused. But as we move forward in, uh, into the first hour, let's try to hand it back and forth a little more quickly, Phoenix. And I would love to get into the five entia. Perfect. I, yeah, I think this is perfect time for that. So Paracelsus basically says, what, what are entia? What, what is an ens and what is an entia? Ens is the plural, and it's spelled E-N-S. And uh, Paracelsus says, the ends is an origin of a thing that has the unlimited power over the body. It spoils the body and causes diseases. Not the degenerated body fluids are the cause of the disease, but the cause that leads to the disease. Quote, unquote. Now, let me explain what the hell that means. I see this with cancer all the time. Destroying a cancer cell is really easy. So not the degenerated body fluids are the cause of disease. So again, in Paracelsus Day, there are four internal humors. These humors are different fluids heated at different ranges. Uh, ranges. So bilious deals with bile. Melancholic deals with like uh, intestinal juices, okay? You have phlegmatic, which deals with uh, stomach juices and phlegm and so on and so forth. You have all these different tempers. And so he's saying that degenerated body fluids or these four tempers are not the full cause of disease. They're the symptom of the cause of disease. And so killing the, that or taking care of that is actually relatively easy. But the cause that led to the disease in the first place, that's what needs to be treated. And he says that of that, that is what we call the ends or the entia. If there is one cause of disease, that's called the ends of disease. If there are multiple causes of diseases, we call those the entia of disease. Now, Paracelsus also says, quote, end quote, please note, there are five entia creating and causing all diseases. Do ye know that there are five kinds of pestilence, not with respect to their nature, their entity, their form or shape, but with respect to their creation that they may later express in any special kind? So there are five kinds of every disease. 
let's jump in here real quick and 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 quickly compare allopathy. Exactly what you just said is what most of allopathy is. I see these symptoms, so I'm going to administer these chemicals that we'll call drugs, um, and that will go after the symptoms, not necessarily a cure. So much of Western medicine, where I exist, where I witness firsthand, is going after the symptoms, and not very often is the actual root cause being dealt with. Okay, back over to you. Yeah, absolutely. And just really fast, I'm working with a research client right now who came to me with stage four lung cancer that metastasized to the bones, the blood, numerous other areas of the body. And they were in fetters and they said, listen, the tumor in the lungs has grown from the size of a golf ball to a grapefruit. What can we do? Within a moment's notice, it took us maybe about 14 hours. We were able to find that the root cause of that particular cancer, according to the IDF reading, was due to a chronic long-term selenium deficiency from a cellular bioavailability perspective. And if the cells had had more bioavailable selenium to them, that lung cancer wouldn't have uh, probably developed. But the thing that was also aggravating it was that the cesium levels, which is a radioactive, well, it can be radioactive, and it can also be a non-radioactive isotope, but it's called cesium. And in this case, cesium-147 was imbalanced with potassium minerals. And when that's happened, that also creates a proclivity for both colon cancer and or lung cancer. And so when we found both of these triggers immediately for the individual within our research program, we identified that that was most likely the root cause of the issue. But even if I were to address the root cause of that issue, it would not take care of the cancer that was already present or the tumor in that individual because now it's symptomatic. It's another issue of its own. So Paracelsus says you have to do two things. One, you absolutely have to treat the symptom in order to kill that. And cancer cells are really easy to kill. That's why in vitro and in vivo, National Institutes of Health and other peer-reviewed studies have been able to show that chemo and radiation is effective, right? Because they can actually kill the damn cancer cells. But what they can't do is actually take uh, care of the cause of the cancer. And so cancer cells keep proliferating regardless of how many treatments they do. Plus chemo and radiation both lower the immune resistance, further creating the condition. And the same exact type of errors of thinking were being perpetuated in Paracelsus Day just with a different medical philosophy. So with that being said, Paracelsus said there are five entia, total of five causes of disease. And these he calls enzastrale, which is the first cause. Enzastrale means the cause of disease due to the stars. And this is today what I would refer to in my modern spagyric uh, research as the effects of geomagnetism, geopathic stress, sky clock interactions, etc. So um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but basically if we are undergoing geopathic stress or if we are negatively impacted by the sign of one of the stars or the luminaries, then that could definitely have an impact on our health. I see this maybe about 10% of the time in my clients. It's not very frequent. And in the cases where it is frequent, it's called geopathic stress. And it's actually due to an electromagnetic vortex. And it shows up also on ENS Veneni panel as being radiation or electromagnetic radiation. And the numbers are virtually the same. So that's the ENS Astrale that I see most of the time. But that's the cause of disease due to the stars. Then we have ENS Naturale. Ins naturale is the cause of disease due to nature, and this is due to like a person's constitution, their environmental conditions, their exposure, etc. So if you are born with genetics that have never been exposed to northern climates or a lot of humidity, and suddenly you move to Maine or Vermont, 
there's a good chance that your body may naturally not like those conditions because its own immune resistance is not designed for that level of mycotoxins or fungi in the air, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and it can create immunostressors. So ens naturales, like are your conditions out of place? Uh, are you exposed to things and not toxins? Okay, because that's that will be the next cause of disease, but are you exposed to things? Um, and by exposure, I mean time too. Okay. So are you 87 years old or are you 30 years old? Because that could determine how quickly a disease, uh, progresses or heals or so on and so forth. And even again, empirically, our modern medicine today even acknowledges some of these aspects. So then here's the big one that set Paracelsus apart. Okay. Because ens naturales kind of constitution, that's not that much different than what the Galenic system was doing. But Paracelsus said that the four humors are nonsense. The elements are still real. They still make themselves manifest in the body, but they make themselves manifest in the body by way of the four different dimensions. So earth deals with the physical dimension. Water deals with the astral dimension. Wind technically deals with the causal dimension and fire with the spiritual dimension. So the elements that Aristotle and, you know, pre-Aristotelian thought had kind of uh, incorporated, that still maintained, but that just translated itself into a broader Kabbalistic theory of these four different dimensions that the individual works on. And so those dimensions to Paracelsus were really, really... With a fifth, is he accepting the ether? Well, that's, the ether is neither one dimension or the other. It's the dimension that is actually feeding all of the others uh, subtly, but it's not its own dimension. And it can only be accessed if all four of the dimensions are perfectly balanced. That's called quintessence or ether. Okay. So Paracelsus actually said that the quintessence was just the balance of all of the four elements in such a way that no one element took any precedent over the other and they were completely indistinguishable. At that moment, that individual is the closest that they can get to quintessential health or perfection from the grace of God, as he would have put it. So let me move into the third one, though, because this is what really, really separates Paracelsus is he comes up with Ains benaini. And Ains benaini is the cause of disease due to toxins and poisons. So today I would call this heavy metal toxicity, chemical toxicity, radiation, electromagnetic pollution. Like, I mean, so many different types of ways of living in our artificial world, basically. Bingo. So even at the time of Paracelsus, though, this was huge because you have the majority of people, especially in Switzerland, were miners. And at that time, there was no concept that miners had the black lung or other diseases disproportionately to anybody else in the society, even though it was noticeable that they did. But doctors didn't write about this, but Paracelsus did. And he actually said the reason that they have this is due to their exposure to these various toxins that they're mining out of the earth. If they're mining antimony, then they're exposed to antimony. If they're mining, or, you know, to all of these things. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. If they're mining lead, then they have all of these other problems. And so he was the very first person to create that whole field of toxicology. And if you have studied medicine today, you have definitely heard of Theophrastus, Bombastus, uh, von Hohenheim, or Paracelsus, as the inventor of the modern field of toxicology and also as the inventor of iatrochemistry, which is the basis of our pharmaceutical chemistry today. It's just that, again, they bastardize it by either synthesizing chemicals or taking say, like, for instance, most people don't know this, but citric acid isn't actually coming from citrus fruits or a lot of other things. It's actually coming from a genetically modified mold that they're able to then use nonpolar solvents and acid-base reactions to get citric acid 
out of that mold, and it's well, a much cheaper solution. We should point out from the alchemical point of view, uh, or maybe more from my point of view, there's a damn difference between getting citric acid out of a, uh, well, here, let me use this. You know, everyone knows that when, you know, that the spirits of plants, uh, which is, um, uh, help me out here. What kind of, it's methyl or ethyl alcohol. Yeah. So all plants. Yeah. So ethanol is the spirit. When you go to the liquor store, that's why it says spirits on all those bottles. That's what yep. it is. But I would ask you if, Phoenix Aurelius went in, took plants, and made those spirits. Is there foundationally a difference between going to the drugstore and buying ethyl alcohol off the shelf? From my point of view, there is. And part of it is Emoto's work about intention and other things. But I'm just going to shut up and let you get through uh, the last ends here. Oh, man, you're awesome. Yeah, we got we got two more antia here. So ends veneni was the last one that's caused a disease due to toxins the next one is en spirituale this one's really important especially in our modern day because this is the cause of disease due to spirits and since the scientific revolution we entirely threw the baby out with the bathwater. so there used to be a craze of spirits and spirits responsible for everything during paracelsus day and he tried to temper that and say no it is a cause of disease but not like you guys think it's actually more uh, psychology. What are the spirits or the unseen factors that are impacting a person's behavior? And so Paracelsus, the way he describes it, would have described insulin as a spirit, that it tempers our rage. And we know that people who have blood sugar issues actually have anger issues. So when he talks about these things in his own language without ever having the concept of what hormones or neurotransmitters were, it actually translates really, really well as long as somebody has a modern medical understanding of the mechanisms by which these things actually work. It, I mean, it translates perfectly. He was picking up in a non-scientific way of exactly the same archetypes as what things work. And so he said that spirits actually affect our psychology and our psychosomatics and are also partially due to parapsychology. So in my own work, I have actually noted that if there is a, an individual that has been killed on the land, uh, either animal or human, that has been killed on the land in a traumatic way where they were not able to process their death, and a hole buried for that individual, two electromagnetic vortexes will happen. One, to cover the damage to the earth that has been created by digging a hole, because just like we send blood flow to an area in order to heal it, the earth's blood, so to speak, the fluid that is the earth, that whole thing appears to be electromagnetism. Okay, so it's, it creates more or less what we would refer to as an electromagnetic vortex. And the same thing happens with, if somebody is killed, an electromagnetic vortex happens um, in that same area. And so I have a number of clients who are impacted by paranormal or parapsychological disorders where what we call rider viruses, which will be really cool. We'll talk about this during the second half of our show. Rider viruses are able to uh, more or less replicate the same trauma that happened on that land and inject images into people that are in close proximity to influence their behavior. So I've seen some very interesting things. Paracelsus was also aware of some very interesting things, and that's called en spirituale, so the cause of psychosomatic psychology, parapsychology. Let's just point out, there's a lot of words that get used in spagyria and alchemy that have been tainted by the modern dialectic 
how we think about these words. Uh, Mercury is a good example. Uh, when you read about Mercury and the traditions that Phoenix is breaking down, it usually means something entirely different than the modern mind would consider when they hear the word Mercury. I think spirits is no different. And I'm bringing this up because spirits is kind of a loaded word. It's got the whole ghost connotation, the evil spirits, all these other ideas. But just to put a firm foundation around it, when you begin to read these traditions and learn something of them, your mind begins to tune, I think, a little bit better into the intent or the spirit, pun intended, of the word spirits. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Chris. That's a really good distinction to make. I sometimes forget it because I've been in this field for so long. But yeah, spirits would actually just indicate things that are unseen to people in the 1530s that are definitively making an impact today. So hormones. Uh, possibly viral infections, lots of different types of things like that could all indicate in spirituale. Okay. So, and, and what, you know, even if we, and there's, there's almost like gradations of the idea as well. We could use it in the modern vernacular. Do you have the spirit of a good American? You know, you understand what I just said. You understand what I'm implying by the use of the word spirits there, but that's a different gradation of a use yes. of the same term. These things are important if you choose to read more about these things and actually understand and be able to look more deeply than the modern pronunciation and definition might allow. Yeah, absolutely. Context is everything. And yep. again, I'm not out there to try and tell people the way that it is. I'm just trying to tell people the way that the tradition has been passed on. If you think that there are problems with it, I invite you just to learn the tradition so that you can fix the aspects of the tradition that are not right. And we can do this together. OK, it's, it's a really simple thing. It just creates discussion. We just can't have people saying, no, that's stupid. No, that's stupid. No, that's stupid. We just have to be able to say, you know, well, my experience is blah, blah, blah. Maybe you guys should try this. If we approach that together, then we can come to much greater solutions than if we, you know, break each other down. So, well, at the end of the day, there's a binding principle here. It's called forced common sense. It's creating a a situation where common sense cannot be ignored. And here in the modern era, I swear to you, eighty percent of what I do is just trying to revive common sense back into the the way we think about things. But more than that, it uses nature as a foundation. And so, when proofs are made, the foundation of that truth, that proof is nature bound by common sense. So these, see, this is why I appreciate the things we're talking about. People can argue about it all you want, but if you come in and you cure someone of cancer, that is inarguable. They have been cured of cancer. And that's a similar thing to what we're talking about. The things that worked here, the things that can still be replicated that do work are one true, two bound by common sense, and then three foundationally centered in a natural world, which is the provider of all the truth we will ever have. There you have it. Well, and it's no coincidence that you just came to three things because I think that would be the sulfur, mercury, and salt levels right. just making themselves apparent. Anyway, the very last anti of disease, the cause of disease would be called Ains Dei or the cause of disease due to God. Now, today I would call these things like causes of disease due to destiny or causation or repercussion, higher purpose, soul purpose. So, for instance, if somebody comes to me, which I've seen this a number of times, and they come to me with lung cancer, for instance, and their ends they comes up as also being a contributing cause of disease, and it's saying that this person is walking outside of the light of creation, what that tells me is they're not walking with inside of their sole purpose. So what is your psyche designed to do? What are its interests? What are its talents? What are its really what is it really good at? 
And how are you using those to be able to contribute to the greatest good of the world around you, both inside of your micro community, as well as inside of your your particular self as well for self-development and the world at large? How is it actually manifesting itself? Because if you're not doing that, there's a good uh, there's a very good chance that inspirituale will also trigger for you. And it will say that you are depressed and that your neurotransmitters are imbalanced and blah, 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 blah. All of the things that we already know. If you're not doing the things that you love to do in life, you're bound to be depressed. Duh. It's not like you said, it's common sense, Crow, and these things are just reviving common sense. So this is what we see when it's ends day. It's not that God hates you if that triggers. It's that either it's part of your life path that you are going to help people to get well after your own wellness journey, and maybe that's part of your destiny, okay? You know, I, I can actually add something here. I kind of think about it like this. Everybody knows or has a version in their mind of what's right and what's wrong. In a weird way, when I read Ends Day and the definitions and the first time that I ever saw these words written, it was almost like you're doing things in your life that you know you shouldn't be. And that kind of is walking outside of God, if you understand what I'm getting at. Um, yep. And that fits perfectly with what you were saying about, well, what are you good at? What should you be doing with your life? And it also relates to the Eastern tradition in a weird way of all things in moderation, the whole idea of Buddhism, the middle way. If the string is too tight, it will snap. If the string is too slack, it won't play. It's the exact same idea reiterated for a different audience. So Phoenix, we're going to have to wrap up in the next two minutes. We have to come in under an hour. So why don't you give your parting shots for hour one and also let everybody know where they can find you online. And you should probably mention that you are interested in taking on people to train. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening. Um, you can reach me at phoenixaurelius.org or phoenixaurelius.com. That's P-H-O-E-N-I-X-A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S.com or .org, whichever is your fancy. Uh, visit the website. I have a tremendous amount of items inside of my Spagyric Apothecary. These are all 100% crafted by hand by me over the past 15 years. Some of the more vintage items, so they mature like fine wine, so they're a little bit uh, higher in price and a little bit finer, but there are always 20% off on all new releases. And we are going to, for exclusive members of Crow 777, we will be giving a 40% off discount. So if you would like to get part of a discount, we encourage you to be part of Crow 777's actual membership so that you can get access to the second episode because that's where we will be releasing the access code. So go ahead and, and uh, listen, subscribe. The other thing is, is that I am taking on students both for alchemiculture and alchemicology starting in 2020. I haven't actually cast the astrology, so I don't know what the astronomical influences look like, but it's going to probably be March or April where those first classes will uh, start to show up and you will start to see registration available starting in December for those. And um, I am also creating a schedule for a 2020 study calendar where I will be doing a couple of group intensives where people can come in for a day or two with four or five other people, as well as offering many more one-on-one uh, -on -one apprenticeships throughout the year of 2020. So approximately one every other month is what we're going to be shooting shooting for uh, throughout that year. So just go ahead and stay tuned, sign up to my newsletter, and uh, that that's pretty much all I've got. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, Phoenix, thank you so much for coming. Jason, you were a little bit quiet in hour one, but um, when, when Phoenix is laying it down at that level, it's not always easy to keep up. I would mention 
Phoenix, you still have a, uh, a full membership to Crow 777 Radio uh, for the discounts. You can put that in the comments section under the members version of the two-hour show. Anyhow, when we come back for hour two, as always, we're going to be on my server in my world, free of censorship of social media corporations that think they have a right to censor free speech and human thought. Uh, I disagree with those ideas, which is why I run Crow 777 Radio. And I will further say, all recurring members of Crow 777 Radio get free access to our full two-hour movie, Shoot the Moon, which has now won four film festival awards. Also, we have a shop link that has things with Crow 777's web address on it. This is not about making money. And if you're a recurring member, it's all at cost. Uh, we, we just do the work to maintain it, and it gets the web address out into the world with all the shadow banning that is so prevalent right now. Anyhow, I hope you'll join us all for Hour 2, where free speech will in fact reign, and Phoenix Aurelius will, will step it up a little. So there it is, man. Cheers. 